Hello everyone, just before this episode starts, I'd like to take an opportunity to let you know that I've just released the new clothing, the Something to Say clothing. It's available at somethingtosayofficial.com. There's four new designs for you to look at. Go check them out. It's exciting. We're really, really proud of this. I've always had the vision to provide people with something that they can wear with strength and courage that represents the themes that we talk about on these channels. So please go check that out. That's something to say official.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. I certainly learned a lot from it. I think you're going to as well. Thank you. I know the title of this episode may seem like it's a little different to what I usually do on this channel, but there is a link to this video and my work. So please hold on tight. I'm gonna explain all as this episode unfolds. Okay, so I have in fact done a couple of videos in the past, quite a little while ago, about the adult industry, about sex work, about fetishes, and there are reasons why I have briefly covered those topics um, throughout me investigating the major topic of what I talk about on my channel, which is child sexual abuse. Some may be thinking, well, where's the link with all of this? How does the adult industry, how does sex work, how do fetishes link in any way to child sexual abuse? And there is a link there, I believe, because the people that are carrying out child sexual abuse, the people that are exploiting young children, underage teenagers for their body, for a sexual release, for sexual gratification of some sort, to pursue a fantasy that they've got in their head. It's all to do with sex and it's all to do with how sex is out of control in a lot of people's minds. Lots of people are hugely deviant when it comes to uh, uh, what turns them on. And I believe if we can understand the, uh, I don't, I'm not sure about the right word for it, but if we can kind of understand the, the, the different situations that are going on, if we can actually understand who we are as human beings within sex and how it can start traveling to different areas that, that, that for most people are, are weird um, or even um, immoral or illegal, of course, if we can understand the person's mind that is doing that, then we stand a better chance of working towards the offence not happening in the first place, trying to get these people to not offend in the first place. One area of our culture and society is sex work, and there is a conversation to be had whether sex workers provide a space for people to release their fetishes, desires, however moral or immoral they are, so that they don't actually go out there and do the real thing to a victim. There's a conversation to be had there. I also think there's a conversation to be had on the mostly women who are doing this sex work. I'm pretty sure 
that there's a dark side to that industry and that job and I'm pretty sure there are people who make a good living out of it and live a prosperous life through that job all of these things I find super interesting and I think we should understand them more and I think one of the big reasons why we should understand it is because we all desire sex we all like sex we all enjoy sex and we all want safe d within sex not just in our sex lives, but in everyone's sex life. We wish for safe sex and safety within sex across the board. So let's talk about it. Now, I found a video about a story from a woman who runs an OnlyFans. That's as far as the story that I know. I've just seen a very short clip of it. We're going to walk through her story and I'll comment as usual, stopping it in parts that I find significant. Just to credit the person who this video has come from, it is from a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly. The guy who runs that is called Mark. Go check it out. He does incredible things with bringing dark and stigmatized stories to the forefront so that we can understand them. Let's kick this off. Let's check this out. Let's see how we go. All right, Monica. Yes. Monica, where did you grow up? Where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from Poland. Um, grew up in Sweden and moved to the States about eight years ago now. And tell me about your childhood. You had both parents? Uh, I grew up in Poland, a uh, very Catholic home. Um, grew up with my mom. My dad was a severe alcoholic. Um, he beat my mom um, in front of me. He um, beat my grandparents in front of me. I remember it, even though as I was three years old, I still remember it. Um, my parents divorced while we actually had to run out of there <laughs> um, because my dad was very abusive. So we moved in with uh, my grandpa and my grandma, and me and my mom lived with them. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty pretty rough. Um, I was I was abused a lot, not not by my dad, but by my mom. Um, so I, I had a hard childhood. Um, my mom, I remember my mom going to Sweden and she stayed away for about a year and I was very small and she came back and she said she married somebody and we're moving to Sweden. And I was absolutely heartbroken because I really loved my grandma and my grandpa. So I didn't want to move. And I remember crying when they were packing me in the car because I was so upset because now I know nobody can protect me and now I'm moving with my mom and God knows I don't like dad, like the new dad, because I didn't know him. I never met him before we moved, so I had no idea who he was. Um, so my mom never gave me a chance to like him or dislike him. We were just moving to him and that was basically it. So I moved to Sweden when I was about four or five years old. Uh, very tough. We lived in a small community in Sweden. Um, I went to a school where there was basically no immigrants at that point. It was 1989, so I was the only one together with one other girl that was from Poland, too. Um, I was severely bullied in school because I didn't know how to speak Swedish in the beginning, so I, have to be, uh, I had to go to homeschooling for, for Swedish. Uh, so I could learn and I had a guy that was walking with me always um, in school. He was my translator So I was very ashamed and I was very bullied uh, because we were pretty poor as well When we moved because my dad was the only one working my stepdad um, So I never had anything 
everything I had was hand-me-downs. And if I asked my mom if I could get something, she would say no, and I would ask why, and she was like, just because. Because I say so. There was never like, well, we don't really have money. It was always, I was never important. Um, so that kind of affected me um, a lot during my childhood. Um, I remember one time, like for example, I forgot my jacket in school. My mom has just, just bought me a, a jacket. I forgot it, it was on a Friday. It's not a big deal, kids forget jackets, you know. I came home and my mom was like, where's your jacket? And I was like, well, I forgot it at school. I'll, I'll get it on Monday. And she was like, well, um, well, so you have a choice. I was like, okay. She was very angry at me. She was like, you have a choice. Either I'll whip you 10 times or you stay at, you'll stay you stay at home while we go out in the dark. Like she would turn all the lights off and I wasn't allowed to turn them on. If she found out that I turned them on when they were at home, she would beat me again. So... <sighs> When you start to hear how some people's upbringing was, you just think, like, as a human race, how, like, in absolute chaos we are, the priority should be the children of the country that we live in. The children should be absolute priority, their safety, their nurture, and her story's horrific. I feel so sad for her. I feel so sad for the child that she was. But this is not uncommon, right? Abuse, neglect, anger being expressed, dished out to children by adults who can't handle themselves because they've got their stuff going on as well. I'm not naive to think that adults' lives are easy and we should be taking care of children. Like, like the whole thing's chaotic. It makes me so... You know what? It makes me angry. It makes me angry. Oh, I chose to be beaten because I was scared to be home alone. Um, and I was nine years old. So, and she beat me like with a garden hose. So I had big like bruises on my butt. Um, it was really tough because I didn't understand why I was treated like that. I was just a child and I haven't done anything, you know? So. That was that was the abuse I grew up with, um, and it gotten it it got worse. Um, my dad tried to protect me as good as he can. He could. Be, he was a good guy in the end. Like he was he was amazing, and I loved him a lot. Um, but my mom just told him, "It's not your kid. Stay out of it." This so is your my, stepdad you're talking about? Yeah, my stepdad. Yeah, and stay out of it. It's not your. You know, she was very abusive towards him. She would call him names and stuff like that. And he was a very mellow guy, so he never fought back. Um, but he, he did try um, to, you know, get her away from me. But, um, but she, would, she would beat me really bad. Once she hit me in the, in the face with a fist, I had bruises. I went to school. I, I told on her because I was like, this is the only way to get out of the situation. And they took my mom in and she said straight up that I was lying. I fell down and I was lying because and she, got beaten she again. I didn't want to do my chores. I so I got upset with her. So I went to school and lied and the teachers bought it. And oh, it wasn't the first time I came to with bruises to school. Like I would that would happen often. I would be scared to go home, um, but never nobody ever did anything because my mom would just come in and lie and say that I I, you know, I lied to them because I was angry with her and they always bought it. So 
I, w I had nobody, literally nobody who can help me. I, and I didn't understand when I was treated like that. I wasn't allowed to have friends over. I wasn't allowed to go to birthday parties. I wasn't allowed to go out. Um, my mom would love, love to punish me. Um, every time I did something wrong, it could be a small thing or I didn't do anything. It like, you know, something could have happened and I was blamed and I would always get hit by my mom. So my mom took every opportunity to beat the living crap out of me. You know what I think sometimes? I think <clears throat> that the fact we call adults adults and we expect that they've got all their shit sorted out is incorrect. None of us have our stuff sorted out. And some of us have our stuff still in so much chaos that we treat other people it, as a reflection of who we feel, how we feel inside our own heads. So actually, we call young people, children, and elder people, adults. We need a name that's kind of similar for both those things because all adults are are children in bodies that are older. We hope that they'd have a maturity or... Uh, their lives or their emotional well-being or their mental well-being was settled enough that they didn't hurt other people. Uh, they understood how to handle themselves or they've dealt with all of their past. But it's very rarely the case. It's very rarely the case. I even see it in my own life outside of this work. Children not being brought to their potential because of the adults fighting around them. Chaos. And my dad couldn't do anything. So obviously when I grew up, I was very rebellious. Um, I would run away from home. I would hook up with guys. Uh, I would put myself in trouble. Um, I almost got raped once. Um, and it, it was I was just trying to do anything to get away from her. And she always found out. Uh, what I did. Um, so she would find me and beat me in front of my friends. I remember once she told me I was about 15, maybe. Um, I went out with some friends because we had like a garden party um, in the little town I, I lived in. And a lot of my friends were out, you know, bicycles, whatever. We had a good time. Um, I went out with them and my mom was there too. And she didn't like that I went up with friends, so she literally beat me in front of all my friends and made me walk home. I have never been so humiliated in my life. I wanted to kill myself. Like, it was the worst thing ever. And after that, the bullying just escalated. Like, people would egg her house. They would toss garbage into her yard. Um, they would stand outside our house and scream like profanities. Um, it was it was very very tough. So I actually ran away from home. Um, I was I was sleeping on people's couches. I moved in with a guy that was a drug addict, um, and we lived under very harsh in a very harsh environment. He was a drug addict. We never had money. Um, I had to shoplift um, to get clothes. 
or food. I had to beg my dad to buy us food um, just because we didn't have any money. I was very young. I was like 16 and he was 20. Um, but finally, I got out of there and I went to a, to a foster, foster family. Um, and that was horrible because I ended up in a home that was, the mom was an alcoholic. Um, so she was very abusive as well. I remember one time I was doing the dishes because we all had chores that we had to do. I was doing the dishes and it was like a plastic container um, that wasn't like super, super clean because I missed something. And she, she flipped out. She would throw it at me and call me names and said I was worthless. And he, she said, well, I don't, I understand why your mom doesn't love you. Um, things like that. So when I was, I lived there for a year and I just couldn't live there anymore. Um, so I actually got my own apartment. Um, but the problem was I was so young. I did have a job. I, I, I didn't go to school. I just, I didn't finish because I just dropped out. Um, what was the deal with your mom? Was she just, she, she didn't care problems or religious or what? My my mom um, my mom is has narcissistic personality disorder and she's also bipolar. Um, she doesn't medicate. She self medicates. Um, she says that she's not an alcoholic, but she drinks every day. Um, she says she doesn't take pills, but she takes uh, pills every day. And she could prescribe them for herself because she's a doctor. Um, so she would take painkillers every single day and drink. Uh, but she says she's not an alcoholic and she doesn't have a problem. I am the problem and whatever problem she has in her life, I made, I created. And she literally told me she wishes I was dead. Were you an only child? Uh, yes. Um, she did get pregnant again, but she had an abortion because she told me she didn't want to have a kid, one more kid that would turn out like me. Oh my but God. my mom got abused when she was a kid as well. Um, really, like my grandpa has a heavy hand and she was beaten quite badly and she just continued to do the same to me right so with this situation that is not uncommon where people who experienced abuse of any sort in their childhood then turn into adults and continue that cycle of abuse by offloading it to either their own children or other people around them. Why is this happening? I want to find out more about this. Why does someone repeat the thing that hurt them the most when they were a child to another child? It's not like it happens now and again. It's like such a common story. It's so common. And with the sexual abuse thing... I know it's known that there's a strong correlation between convicted paedophiles finding out and finding out that they were once sexually abused in their childhood. The cycle that is continuing, but why? Why as human beings are we are we implementing that? tragic thing that happened to us on another child when we turn into adults it's like weird you would have thought if you think of like an intelligent being you would have thought that you wouldn't do the same thing 
to your children that happened to you. But there's got to be something in the brain that is making like a carbon copy of your own childhood and recreating that childhood for the next generation. There's got to be something there. There's got to be something there. Now, to try to draw some kind of comparison that's relatable for the masses, we all, right, so I'm going to say this with confidence, we all do things that our mum and dad did that we didn't like at the time that they were doing them. So let's say our mum or dad used to say something or behave a certain way. I'm not talking about abuse here. I'm just talking about something small. Even the way they talked, the way they reacted to something, one of their habits, one of their mannerisms. And as children, we used to think, oh, that's so annoying. I'll never do that. And then all of a sudden you get to an older age and you're doing it and your brother or sister calls you out on it. You're like, that was exactly what dad used to do. Or that's exactly what mum does. And you're like, oh my God, I don't even realise I was doing it. Like, obviously that's the softer extreme of, of what I'm trying to say. Abuse is the harder extreme. But is there some kind of similarity there? Why is the brain doing this? If you have any information on that, please comment to help us with this discussion. If you are an expert in this field, please come onto my podcast and help us understand more. Let's continue with the video. Um, so, of course, it was just bad. I would, I would hook, up, hook up with guys. Um, I did get pregnant once I was so scared to tell my mom um, so I wanted to have an abortion because I knew if I told my mom she will beat the living hell out of me like she will kill me literally I knew she would kill me she would beat me so much I'd die so I was like what am I going to do so I went to the clinic and they told me that oh you don't like they do an ultrasound and they say well it doesn't look like you're pregnant it looks like a um uh, it doesn't look like a real pregnancy, so we probably aborted. I was like, okay, so I didn't worry about it. Then all of a sudden, I was four months pregnant. They misdiagnosed it, um, and I had to tell my mom. And I, I, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. I actually went out and wanted to take my own life, but I didn't have the guts to do it. So I just went home and told her, and she, I mean, she, I, she was furious. But she didn't beat me. But she took me to the doctor straight away. She was like, we're doing an abortion. And the doctor was like, she's four and a half months pregnant. They were like, my mom was like, I don't care. It has to go. Um, wow. So I had an abortion in four and a half months. I had to have a delivery. Oh I delivered um, the baby. My mom made me look at the dead baby. She was like, this is what you did. You killed your own child. So I had to look at it, um, which I still remember. And I almost died because I, um, I lost so much blood, so I died on the operating table. And um, I came out, and um, my mom was like, um, well, you did this to yourself, so um, it suits you right. And she was like, I wish, I wish you didn't make it. And, um, I was so upset. I can't believe this story. I can't actually believe it. The title of this video on, <coughs> excuse me, the title of this video on Soft White Underbelly is OnlyFans Model. 
So I was under the impression that she would talk about her work in the adult industry, the sex industry, whatever we're going to call that. That's what I thought this video was going to be about. That's why I opened this video with the way that I opened it with the introduction. But actually, it's just turning into something that I wasn't expecting. Can you imagine... Can you imagine... Or shall I say, we know the horrific nature of what an abusive situation can do in your childhood. But can you imagine that just repeating itself over and over and over again? She is constantly being trodden on. She's constantly being kicked down. And I'm, I don't know where this story is going, but I'm pretty sure for the many people that have had lives like this, many don't make it, many don't make it through this kind of situation, situations, crazy. Because all I wanted from my mom was to love me, and she didn't. Um, so after that, um... I, uh, that's when I ran away and got my own apartment. I ended up in, in social care and stuff, and then I had my own apartment. But the problem was, like, I worked, but I didn't have enough money to pay rent. So, um, uh, so my mom had to help me, and uh, she actually did, which is weird. Um, but she also said that I have to do whatever she says. Um, and she would, she would literally call me every single day to check on me if I was at home, if I was out somewhere or doing anything, she would literally drive to my apartment and beat the living shit out of me. So I was so scared. I was just sitting at home because every time the phone rang, I just, I just didn't know what to do. Like I was so scared of her, even though I didn't live with her. Um, so I lived in my apartment and then I met my ex. Um, and I was like, okay, I like him. He's cool. He's nice. Uh, he was 10 years older than me. Um, so I, after a couple of months, I moved in with him just to get away from my mom because I thought maybe if I live with him, she won't do this to me anymore. The problem is he was just like her. Um, so I just... I just did the same thing all over again. I just ran to somebody that is just like my mom. Uh, he wasn't physically abusive, but mentally. Um, and it was for 11 years because I didn't, my mom was like, if you leave him, I will never talk to you again. And I was like, I have nobody. Um, so for some odd reason, I don't know why I have this weird attachment to my mom where when she says something, I go like, I'll do whatever you want. Um, so I never left him for 11 years and he was, he was mentally abusive. He, he was yelling at me. He, it, it was just me walking in eggshells every day I came home from work or school. Like I, it, I was so scared of doing anything wrong that I, 
every time I came home, I just wanted to throw up because I knew he was home and that I have to watch myself. Like, I have to do everything he wants, but still, even if I did everything he wanted, he still was upset. And I, and I, like, it's hard to explain the feeling of hopelessness where you just want to kill yourself because you feel like whatever you do doesn't help. Like, you do things, but you, you're such a good person, you try to do good things, but they just don't, you know, whatever you do is, is wrong. You lose hope? Yeah. It's like, I have nobody, and that is it. Um, but thankfully, after 11 years, um, I went to school, I finished my degree, I went to the university, I became a teacher, um, oh, wow. and I had nobody's support. My mom wouldn't support me. She said, yeah, you're going to the university, getting like a shit degree. Like you're becoming a teacher. That's just nothing. You can be so much, you can be something so much better. But she's like, but I guess you just don't want to try. Um, I just wanted to become a teacher because I wanted to help kids that are being abused or, you know, going through things. Um, so I did, I worked for, as a teacher for, for two years. Um, and it was, just, it was very tough because of the upbringing I had, and I did see a lot of the same tendencies, and I just couldn't do it because I had not, you know, I haven't worked with my trauma back then. So I still had, like, PTSD, and I just, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't see it because whatever I say doesn't help, and I can't stop these parents to treat their kids badly. So I, I just felt like a failure, so I quit. <laughs> So I started working um, as a receptionist and stuff like that, um, and a project manager. I did have really good jobs. Um, so I was just working. I, I left my ex. Uh, my mom and I stopped talking. Um, she would invite him for Christmas and not me. I would sit by myself on Christmas. Um, she would call him 20 times a day. She never called me. Um, and then one day out of the blue, I remember she called me and she was like, well, we shouldn't be fighting. I was like, well, I didn't start it. I just left a person that was abusive, but you took his side. So I don't, I don't really know what, what to say. And she just said, well, you did the wrong thing. You always do the wrong things. You never, um, you never act right. You're always a burden, you know. But she was like, but I'm still your mom, so I guess, you know, I have to talk to you. I'm like, you don't have to. Like, you, there is nothing you have to do. You don't have to talk to me. Um, but, she, but, you know, we, we did start talking again. Everything was fine for a little bit. And then she went back to her cycle of being abusive. Um, so I had to cut contact again. Because I said, okay, I can't do this. You're being abusive again. This is not, I can't live with this. Um, and then she called me again, and it was fine. We started talking. And at that same time, I met um, my husband. Um, we met on Facebook through similar, through friends. And we started talking. And she could not stand that. This is, this is where the worst period of, besides being beat, this was psychological terror. I've never experienced anything like this. So we started talking, me, me and my husband online. And you know, when you, when you meet up first, you talk about 
everything, you know, from sex to, you know, everything. Because you're new, you're in love, it's all fun. And we did talk about a lot of, like, sexual stuff, but that's our private business, right? That's not, nobody should be involved in that. But we started talking, we talked every day, we talked a lot, and my mom couldn't stand that because now this is, there is a new man that's taking her control away from her over me. Um, because my husband was very supportive and he was like, you know, you have to break free from the abuse. You can't, you can't be in this because you'll kill yourself. Like, this is not good for you. Um, it was very supportive. Can I just make a quick point? I was chatting to some friends over the weekend and we were just talking about life. And we were talking about how it must have been a thousand years ago when life was a lot harsher. What I mean in that is that food was a lot more scarce. Shelter was a lot more scarce. Clothing was a lot more scarce. It was all about survival. Then we take 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago. Do you think all of this chaos was going on then? The, the control of other human beings, the, the manipulation, the darkness, the, the narcissism, the abuse. The, was it all going on back then when actually it was all about surviving day to day and to, in order to do that we had to stay in some form of community. The family had to stick together otherwise we stood no chance. The tribe needed to stick together, otherwise we stood no chance. But now that we're so separated, we all live in our own houses. Um, many people live alone, for an example. Um, there's no brothers or sisters around anymore. There's no mums or dads around anymore. There's no community. There's no, like, like we're not we're not looking for survival anymore. Then it brings these problems. Like, I don't know if I explained that very well. But we were chatting about it over the weekend and I actually found it really interesting. Um, because this is this is nuts. This is this is chaos. This is chaos. Her mother is chaos. From the from what she said, her grandfather, her mother's father, was chaos. And now she's as she explained as her story evolves. She started to go through chaos with her partners and moving out and running away and thinking about suicide. And it's like, it's just trickling. It's just trickling from generation to generation. Has it always been like this? Or has it always, it has always been this bad, actually. It's just been bad in different ways. There were, there were crimes back then. 2,000 years ago that there aren't now there's just different chaos now like I don't know but anyway so I felt like I finally had the support to kind of pull back and and say you know this is enough I'm not doing this with you um, so I started doing that and the, it's he, she could not stand this like this is, was the worst thing so she hacked my Facebook she hacked my Facebook and she saw all the messages we were sending back and forth. 
and um, that's when the hell, what the hell broke loose. I remember when, when I, was, I was in the States visiting him and she calls me and she was like, you shouldn't be with him. And she was yelling and she was calling me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a whore and everything. And I didn't really understand where this came from because it was such a weird reaction. I was like, where is this coming from? But I found out when I got home. She, was, she would send me screenshots of the conversations we had on Facebook. And she was like, I'm going to go to the police with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see too that you will never leave Sweden. You will never leave me. Um, so she went to the police. The police called me. She handed over. She printed out everything from that Facebook conversation, including pictures that I would send him and he would send me. Like the police saw everything, all the private conversations, and I just wanted to die. When I, when I walked into that police station, I was like, this is the worst, this is so horrible. And I have to look these people in the eye and explain myself. And I came in and I was like, listen, we're all grown here, we're adults, I'm, I'm 30 years old. Like, this is a private conversation I have with somebody I'm dating. And, and the guy was like, well, you know, your mom is worried this and that. And I was like, I am a grown person. Like, you can't do this to me. Why am I here? This is very embarrassing for me. Um, and I said that I, they actually granted me a, um, 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 a restric- uh, restraining order uh, for 30 days so they can investigate it. So my mom wasn't, wasn't allowed to be near me, but she would still send me emails. I didn't send them to, to the police because I just wanted to be over with. Um, but she said that she had hired people to follow me um, and stuff like that just to see what I was doing. And at that time, I started dancing in Copenhagen uh, on Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, so she found out. And she said that I have, she would call the club to ask me if I was there and to ask what kind of club it is, what are they doing. Um, it, it was just so horrible. She got me kicked out of my apartment. I had, I had 30 days to leave because she told the landlord that I was a prostitute and I had men outside my, my door and I was selling sexual favors. Uh, so I got kicked out. I had 30 days to leave and I had nowhere to go. Um, I did find an apartment, thankfully. Uh, but she called my husband's mom to, that was 72 years old and told her all our private conversations and screenshot it, like conversations between me and my husband to his mom. And his mom calls him and says, who is this person? What is this? What is happening? And he was like, I like, don't take it seriously. Um, but yeah, my, she, it was horrible. She, co- she called the American embassy to get me not to come to the US. And I had to call the American embassy and be like, um, I'm sorry, has my mom called? They were like, yes. I was like, oh, and they were laughing and I was dying inside. They're like, if we're gonna listen to every nut job that calls in here, about stuff, this is all we'd be doing. You're fine, like we don't take this seriously. So you finally got away? Yeah, I finally came to the States. Unfortunately, the trauma I have is never feeling good enough after this. And that's how I got into the adult industry. When I came here, I didn't have a green card, so I started dancing. 
and that was all fine because it was just a bikini club so it wasn't anything any nudity at that time um so you know it was fun i was dancing but then things escalated because i went from one thing to another and i actually did um i did go into porn i did four movies i think all together and i remember the first time i was going to vegas to do a video and I was just, I cried in the car. I, I, was, I was like, okay, but it's either this or rent. I have to pay rent, so I have to do this. But I wanted to kill myself um, because this was so out of my element. Worst eight hours of my life. It, it was so horrific. It was just so harsh. And it was, it was two guys, so, you know, it was just very harsh. So I did that, and of course, once you've done that, and once they release the video, and the interest starts to grow for you, you just forget how bad it made you feel, and you just close off to the world, and you just keep on going. Wow. Um, it, it was, I did four more after that, but I just had to get out, because the last one, I, I, I've never been so depressed in my life. It was horrific I wanted I didn't want to kill myself um, I it, it was just it was all over the internet and every time I heard about it or saw it I I was like take everything down I'll pay anybody to take it down like I don't care but <clears throat> okay so now we get onto the conversation about the industry the adult industry I have watched in the past a few interviews, which actually I should spend some time reviewing on women who have had what they would call a flourishing career in the adult industry, either through pornography or sex work. And they've made a lot of money and had some form of career and that that they 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 treat it like a not they treat it like a job they talk about it like a flourishing career i don't still don't know how to feel about all of that and why don't i know how to feel about all of that let's think about that is it because if the money in that industry were not so good they wouldn't do that. Is it because the money's so good, they're happy to do that job and that blinds them from the nature of the work? Or is it... Is the adult industry empowering women? And if it is, then what about the men that use it? How do we feel about them? It's do we feel about those men? Like, let's say any any woman that's anybody that's watching this that dates men. If you found out that he uses a sex worker to express certain fetishes or or play out certain fetishes, you saying all power to him? Probably not. I'm going to guess. But if you 
then think about the woman earning all the money. Do we say all power to her? I think there's a conflict here of what, how we think about the customer and the worker. But now she started talking about how horrific her experience was, how harsh it was, and how that made her feel. Now, do you think all of that abuse that she experienced leading up to that point led her into that industry? Because I'm pretty sure there's lots of people watching this that would be like, I would never do that. I would look for other ways of getting rent. Do you think that the abuse she suffered throughout her life that were passed down from her mother has led her to this industry that uh, and that and that this industry has that kind of nature to it? Let's continue to see what she says. Since I had a contract, nobody could take anything down. Like it was on the internet. Um, but as I I passed it. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I started dancing again, and I danced at a pay-to-play club, um, which was eight hours of men, one Monday to Friday, which was even worse. Um, so I closed off to the world. Um, I, I pushed my husband away. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. He... Um, he was so sick of it. He had a hard time. It was just very, very bad in our relationship. I, I literally wanted to move back home because I felt like I wanted to run back to my mom. Um, and it, it is so weird after all this time and after everything she did, every time I get upset or something is hard, I want to run back to my mom. But that's never going to happen. So. I just kept on doing what I was doing and I was I was dancing in this club and it was just horrible. It was dark in there, you couldn't see anything. It was just and they made you like if you want to make money you get to do this and this and this, you know. And it was just so horrific. I did that for five years. Wow. Um and then I quit because it was like enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. And thankfully, OnlyFans started at that time. Um, and I started OnlyFans um, 2017. And it was really, really good. Um, I felt more relaxed with doing what I wanted to do and not really being told what to do. Um, so I, I, I started doing a little solo stuff. And then I started doing stuff with my husband. And then we started doing more and more and more, you know, with other people and stuff like that. And that was fine up to a degree. And now I'm just finding myself in the same situation where it's just getting hard. Um, and I think what has gotten me to this position right now, why I chose do do adult is because I've never felt like I was good enough for anybody. Um, and I think that's the case with a lot of people that are in the adult industry. We we suffer. We did suffer. A lot of us suffered a lot of trauma, and a lot of us feel like we're not worthy or we're not worthy of somebody's love. So we're just trying to find people to love us and appreciate us, and we find these this through adult because 
when we show ourselves off or you know the naked body and stuff like that we feel appreciated when men appreciates us uh that makes sense that makes sense so could you liken that to posting something on social media and getting likes and comments and praise you know that feeling that we all get when we post something on our social media it could be a picture of where we've been at or uh, what we've been doing and lots of people comment and lots of people like it gives us a good feeling it makes us feel worthy it makes us feel loved and liked no one's denying that that's just facts right so is the adult industry giving an avenue for mostly women within it to get that same feedback but just on a different kind of intensity or a, or, or a different level it's so crazy when she starts explaining how she then goes to OnlyFans and that's so much better because it's behind a screen and she can kind of control it and she just starts doing the softer stuff and then she just gets dragged in one piece by one piece until she's back on the harsh stuff like she was in the dancing club and um, doing all the other work that she did. It's... Let's continue. Um... For me, it's the lack of being loved, um, really loved by a parent, no matter what. I've never had unconditional love in my life. I don't know what that is. Um, I, I, I just wanted to have that from my parents. And I feel like when I'm online, I have that unconditional love from other people. And sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough for my husband that he is ashamed of me and what I do even though he's part of it it's different for a guy but I sometimes feel that I don't make people proud um, and that people are ashamed of me um, but I still you do it's your self-perception or do you think it's what you're really getting from him uh, no I think I think it's my my lack of self-worth um, that puts me in this position I think what it is is that I've I've never felt unconditional love and that's what I think I think that he doesn't love me really like for real he 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 thinks I'm good looking and stuff like that but in my own head I'm I'm always oh you know even if this ends I'll be fine um, because I shelter myself from that so I was like I'll be fine because he doesn't really love me he says he loves me but my mom said she loved me, but then she did all these things. And that's why if he says he loves me, I feel like he just says that because my mom said it. She didn't mean it. So why should he? And I really don't feel, I don't feel like I've ever been loved or appreciated for real. Like I always feel like it's going to end or it's a lie or I'll try to do something to sabotage it for myself so I can say, I told you so. Um, so it's, it's just hard. It's, it's, it's hard trauma to work through because you push yourself into such situations that you wouldn't normally do if you didn't 
have to, if you didn't have baggage. I, I put myself in so many very frightening situations that I shouldn't have been in. I mean, I've, I've lived with a drug addict. I've, I've, I've been raped, you know, I've been, I, I don't want to say I've been molested, but kind of, um, we had, when I, this was when I was 13, we had like workers at our house. They were painting the outside of the house. And after it was like my dad's friends, um, my stepdad's friends, and they were like drinking in the end of the evening. And um, we were all sitting and having dinner and they were like drinking, it was a little party. And one of these guys, I don't know how old he was. He was like in his early thirties or late twenties, something like that. And my dad was like, oh, he likes you. I'm like, I was 13, I don't know what that is. Like, I whatever. Um, and he he literally groped me and everybody was laughing wow. and they're like oh he's just joking but and they left me with him everybody went in and they left me with him like i had to tell my dad the next day that you left me with this person and he was like oh he's harmless he i was like he was groping he was trying to kiss me i don't know what could have happened like this is not okay, but I was 13, so I just like, I, I, a lot of things that happened to me, I thought was normal. I thought everybody went through this. I thought everybody was dragged by their hair down the stairs. I thought everybody was punched in the face. I thought everybody was choked. I mean, I, I thought this was normal. This was a normal upbringing. That's something that I talk a lot about at the moment um, in these presentations that I'm doing. When I do the adult ones and I open up for the Q&A part of the session, um, lots of adults in the audience have started asking me, when was it that you noticed that what you went through when you were a child was wrong? Because what I believe they're asking there is that question, but in addition to that, how at the time did you not realize that it was wrong and I honestly think that, that question is asked because we're not we're, we're forgetting that the world that was created around us when we were children is your norm regardless of when you become an adult how you then understand what's right and wrong we're then applying that to the children when they tell their story and we're wondering well how as the child did you not know that that was wrong and that you should speak to somebody about it and that you should raise the alarm it's like you're forgetting what it was like when you were a child the world that was created around you by the adults around you was nor the norm what the adults around you told you was true was true and she's explained that here we're so confused when we think about children who were abused of any kind suffered abuse of any kind why they didn't say anything or, or how did you not know that it was wrong or it's like come on you got to remember what it's like to be a child even a young teenager, 13, 14, like she's saying. Um, 
but it it damaged me so bad that I I still can't really function as a emotionally I I I can't really function as a normal person because I feel unhappy every single day of my life. Wow. I wake up and I just feel unhappy. I'm like I have nothing to look forward to because I just don't let myself be happy because I feel like if I'm happy it will end something will happen and then I'll get disappointed. So I just rather not get disappointed and not look forward to anything or find happiness. It's better to be miserable because then you just don't get disappointed. Wow. And that's just better. And sometimes I I'm just contemplating like it's just better that I wasn't around. Uh I have that feeling every single day. I try to work through it. I I try to medicate. I try to you know, have a holistic approach to mental health and stuff because I don't want to start taking pills because I've already done that. Um so I just don't want to I don't want to be my mom and that scares me. And that's what scares me from having kids because what if my mom was normal before she had me and I triggered something in her? And what happens if I have kids and this happens to me? Wow. And I will I will create a human being that's me. And I don't want that. So it scares me a lot. It's horrible how one or two traumatic childhood experiences can impact every day of your adult life. Yeah. I mean not that you had you had many more, sounds like with your mom, but Yeah. I every time my phone rings and it's a private number, I literally want want to throw up. It it's it it still scares me that she will somehow beat me again. And and when I check my Facebook messages or my email every single day I think there's going to be an email from her and it's going to be bad because the last email she sent me she did, she said that I'm a disgusting human being and I will I will kill myself just like my dad did. My my real dad, he hung himself. He did. Mm-hmm. He um, he was 62 years old. He was an alcoholic, and he he never stopped drinking his entire adult life. He was sober for six months, drunk for six months, and it was just like that. Um, and he had two kids after me. I've never met them because they have so much trauma in, our, in their life already from having a dad that was an alcoholic, and their mom was very abusive. So I didn't want to get into their life and then just disappear because I can't be there all the time because they live in a whole different country. So I've just never, never took that plunge to talk to them because I don't want to make them disappointed. But yeah, he hung himself the last time he was supposed to go to rehab. He just couldn't take it. So he hung himself and uh, they, uh, they carried him out apparently, which I didn't know, uh, in front of the kids on a stretcher. Mm. and their mom made them watch and and apparently their mom said to to my my stepsister that now there's nobody who can give you candy so yeah it's it's hard um i i grew up in a very harsh environment and thankfully i had my stepdad to thank for a lot of good things in my life um 
I am a, I am a much stronger person today, but I still am very unhappy and miserable. Uh, I still have suicidal thoughts every single day, uh, and I still think the world would be better off without me in it. So I still have that every day, but I try to be strong and I try to not think about it. But and I and I think a lot of people see us if we were only OnlyFans girls or do porn or whatever. I think they see us as bad people, but we're not. Uh, some of us. To have the thought of maybe this world would be a better place without me is such a deep thought to have about yourself and I can only imagine that actually if you recognise that you're thinking that about yourself that that is a scary world to be living in there's a scary thought and we know because everybody knows somebody that committed suicide right that's so common everybody knows somebody and maybe we could say that everybody that does commit suicide has thoughts of that level right this place would be better without me but when we hear this woman's story we want to say to her come on you've been through so much you've got to the other side of so many horrific situations you've been treated like shit throughout your whole life but you're still pushing forward come on of course we want to say that to her but we want to say that out of our mouths to her that's not what's going on inside of her head and for us to say that this all stems from the abuse that she went through in her earlier years of her childhood of course she talks about the continuous abuse but she never got a break from it are just going through things and we're just trying to find ways to cope with it and just find ways to have somebody that loves you unconditionally and I think that's a lot a lot of us girls do that because we've had parents or somebody that did bad things to us and we don't really know how to channel that and work through it so we kind of seek attention especially from men and it feels good because we're they're validating that what we do if it's if it's professional porn if it's just only fans or escorting or whatever it is in the sex industry we're just trying to find somebody that will love us unconditionally wow um and i think a lot of people think that we're cheap or we're whores or this or, it's not what it's about because a lot of us just wanted to be appreciated wow. by somebody because a lot of a lot of my friends for example don't have anybody in their life like I have a husband so I have that support but a lot of us don't so we're alone in this 
Um, and I don't think people see that. They just see, oh, she's cheap, she's a whore, she does this, you know, she does this for money or whatever. But it's not only that. There is so much more emotional trauma behind what we're doing than just we're doing this for money or fame or whatever. Mm. We're, we're more than that, but we're that because of something has happened to us. And I love, I, like, I love all my fans. They're very sweet and they're very encouraging. And I have to say, like, a lot of times when I have a hard times, a lot of my fans have helped me. Like, I have, I've been able to talk to a lot of them. And it's been nice because a lot of these guys are like, you shouldn't feel like this. You know, it's, you're, you're, you're a good person. We love you. And it does help because if you have a group of people that don't really know you know you, say that, that you're a good person, that means a lot. Mm. So I do appreciate that. And I feel like I've grown a lot as a woman by doing this. But it's also been really, really tough <laughs> at times. All right, Monica, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Wish you lots of luck from here. Thank you. You're, thank you're still you so young. Much. You have lots of, lots of yeah, life ahead of you. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. I balled all my makeup away. <laughs> okay. That video was not the video I thought it was going to be. I was under the impression she was going to talk about, for the most part, her career and her work within the adult industry. I was kind of hoping for that because, well, I should say that's why I selected the video to review because I'm very interested in the whole dynamics between man and woman on in the adult industry and how we perceive the workers and how we perceive the customers and what largely the men that are using the adult industry, as she mentioned, whether that be professional pornography, OnlyFans, escorting, how that is either helping them in some way or hindering them in some way. And how the whole thing is either helping society in some way or hindering society in some way. It's a conversation I'm very interested in exploring more. Her story didn't really go into that. But we got something else ginormous from it, I believe. Now when you look back at the whole story, you see how Abuse in your early years starts to create a vortex of abuse year on year on year. Now we know that it was her mother, um, I keep using the word implementing, that's not the word that I'm, I'm looking for, but to keep moving, it was her mother that kept implementing abuse on her time and time again. But what became really interesting was to see how that drove her behavior and her personality. She said that she kept looking, almost seeking 
chaos, chaotic situations in life. It's almost like if you experience it, you're trying to recreate it in your adult life in this weird way. And I've heard many people talk about this. What becomes familiar in your childhood, in your adulthood, you go searching for, even if you don't realise you're searching for it. For example, if you have an abusive, if you had an abusive father, you often end up with an abusive partner in your adulthood. It's like weird. We, we, we could look at that as not logical, but the brain is mysterious. And these are common stories that we hear. Common. They're common. It's not a shock for us to hear this. We hear it all the time. She told her story really well. I learned a lot from it. I hope you did. That's why we're doing this. Because we're trying to learn more. We're trying to understand more. It may even help us in our own recovery or journey, progression, to understand other people's stories, hear other people's stories, because we're just trying to move forward all the time. We want progression, we want evolution, we want learning, and we want prevention for future generations. Let's call it a day here. Thank you for joining me. Hello everyone, thank you for getting to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, I know it was a bit of a longer one than what I usually do and I also know that originally I was planning for it to be about the adult entertainment industry but actually it took a different turn but I had to roll with it. I hope you enjoyed the way that it turned out. I think this lady Monica has taught us a lot and expressed her story so brilliantly please do hit the like button on this post please do leave your comment in the comment section we're relying on the audience to interact with these episodes because that helps the algorithm and that helps us reach more people because we talk about explicit themes so social media platforms don't really like us also just to finish with again launched new clothing something to say clothing available at something to say official.com go check it out there's four designs for you to see it's exciting this is an adventure stick with me on this we're going all the way thank you